Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and joining me today is my usual partner, Rob Dixon. Good morning. And we have a repeat special guest with us, Captain Megan Powell from here at MCHD. Hello. And like all the best podcast episodes, I'd say that, I, I mean it, the, the best ones are the organic ones that come out of uh, intra-office discussions. And through our Captain to District Chief Write-Up program, Captain Powell was spending the afternoon with Dr. Dixon and I, chit-chatting about medical director things and clinical things, education things, and uh, Captain Powell delivered us a nice golden nugget for our podcast discussion today, so we're super, super thankful, Megan, for your idea. I want to start the podcast off with your question, so we were... It was probably 4.45, getting ready, had the shoulder strap on the shoulder, ready to head out to the old uh, Subaru and, and exit, and Megan drew us back in with an awesome question. So hit it for the listeners, and we'll take it from there. So I was wondering how I can improve my care and grow as a provider and what resources to look to um, and to utilize and who to trust. Also at MCHD, we pride ourselves on being a progressive service, and where do I fit as part of that team? And keeping that up and how can I grow us further, right? So with that, Dr. Dixon, Dr. Patrick, who do you trust? So it was really a, a short and maybe seemingly simple question that's actually really complex. There's tons and tons and tons of information out there when it comes to podcasts like ours, uh, blogs, websites, posts, you know, national meetings, state meetings, Y'all are lucky, I will say, that you, there's so many sources that you have to go for free and open access information. The double-edged portion of that sword is not all of it is as good as others. So how do you, who do you trust? Yeah, I think you have to start simply, right? I make a simple list and then I go to sources that I, I feel are trustworthy. So number one, I look for other folks that are clinicians that are practicing active clinical practice of either pre-hospital medicine or emergency medicine in the uh, emergency department. I look for reputable sources, reputable speakers. A couple of red flags for me, Casey, are people that are, you know, uh, selling something, some they're specific to one product or one service line. I tend to shy away from those a little bit more. Um, I go back to a lot of guys that I've seen lecture over the years uh, and try to find uh, sources that, that use those speakers, like uh, Casey Asimama too, right? Still practices clinical medicine, still works night shifts, has an excellent uh, both podcast and video cast. I think one of the hardest things when you have all this is there's so much information is to try to focus down on a couple and not not jump around too much. Figure out what you like, what media you like, whether that's video or audio, who you like to listen to, who really kind of speaks to you, and who gives it to you in digestible bits. Uh, I find that, that some of the, of the content is so long, and it's filled with so much 
extra chit chat that's not about medicine or about a clinical topic I'm interested in that's just not terribly useful. Yeah, I want to throw a couple onto that. I, I agree with all those. Spectacular claims always are a red flag for me. If it's the easiest or the best or, yeah, I don't I just don't feel like reputable folks make wild, spectacular claims with their educational products. Peer review is a plus. Peer review can come in different forms. A lot of times when we say peer review, we think about a journal article, and, and I see Megan falling asleep immediately. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Dixon is nodding off and snoring. And I don't just mean journal articles because that's, that's a really sometimes a, a, a huge step to take to go from a journal article to clinical practice. But what I mean by peer review is just did somebody else verify the information. So when you go to a lot of blog sites, some of the ones we'll talk about as we go through, when you look at the bottom of the page, you'll see reviewed by. And even if it's just been reviewed by one other person, that's still quite a step up from my mind in the world of reliability. And, you know, trust but verify. Anytime you hear something, a new treatment, a new procedure, a new idea, you know, I don't mean that you have to be pessimistic about everything, but I want to have a second or a third source. That should be your natural response really anytime, whether it's old school texts all the way to today. I remember once, it was about 18 months, maybe two years ago, I've lost a little scope of time in the, in the pandemic, but for uh, the medic listeners out there, in the emergency department, y'all probably heard about services out there that are using buprenorphine, for uh, patients with opiate use disorder. To be able to prescribe buprenorphine in the emergency department, this has gone back and forth a little bit, but we were at the time required an X waiver. So I had to have a special DEA addition to be able to prescribe the medication. So I took an ASEP, American College of Emergency Physicians sponsored class that ended up being excellent. It, as a older learner, a lot of education these days just puts me to sleep. I don't get energized as, as well as I used to. I came out of this one like, man, this is a topic that I missed on. The pharmacology, the physiology, the morbidity and mortality reduction. I, man, I need, to, I need to dig deeper into this because it was about a four-hour class. So I went to my reliable sources that we'll get to in a second and sort of made a list of all the buprenorphine stuff that was out there. And the first place I went was to MRAP. MRAP is an emergency medicine-based monthly podcast, videocast um, subscription service that has been around since they used to send out CDs and tapes back in, back in your day, Dr. Dixon. Um, <laughs> and and get your digs in. I, pulled, I pulled out an episode on buprenorphine from probably 2017, 2016, and some of the information that was on there was incorrect. It was just incorrect. Now, you can go back to lots of our podcasts here and find older information that's incorrect. So I'm not knocking MRAP by any way, shape, or form, but just to go to your reliable source, a single source, and assume that they're right. And I would ask all the listeners to do that with us. We're not perfect by any means either. Things change. Medicine evolves. Just know that you have to trust and then verify. That's, that's where I would leave this one. And then Lastly, you hit on one that's totally key. If you have a million sources you're trying to follow, guess what you're not going to be able to do? 
focus. You have to right. focus. Like anything else, you have to figure out what's the most digestible to you. And people are different types of learners, aren't they? Everybody at this table learns a little bit differently. And then, you know, you built your foundation in medic school and in your early clinical practice, but you're always trying to expand. So you, your, your uh, sources that you will focus on, Megan, are going to be different than a new medic coming out of school, right? They're still trying to build the foundation. And so that's why it's, you really have to tailor the sources to how you consume it. You know, I'm kind of an answer person. I, I do read the peer review. We write the peer review here. We read the peer review. Uh, but many times, if you want a clinical question answered, I like a little format like a life in the fast lane or, uh, you know, MRAP I think is really good. I think Amalma 2's stuff is really good for that because I just want the answer for a specific question like the clinical bottom line. You know, what do I do with this patient, with this scenario? I personally have had to tailor how I receive education and how I process education. Just from when I started off as a baby medic, you know, I was fresh out of school, single, I didn't really have a lot of commitments, to now I'm married with a son, so a lot of my learning is podcast or it's on the go or I will see something maybe shared on Twitter, then I will go and verify elsewhere versus previously. Maybe I could spend all day, every day, you know, going through countless articles that leads us really into point number two, and that is you have to consume non-mandatory education. I'll speak to our MCHD medics out there, but I hope all y'all have some mandatory education in your service somewhere. It's never going to be enough. You're going to have to take your cases and take your learning offline and do some you know, self-education, but it has to be with a goal in mind. It can't be just to cover ground. I need to read pages of a text, or I need to spend X amount of time. All learners, whether it's you know, medic school to experience medic, medical residents, nurses, you know, other docs, I think that the goal in mind is really key. So a couple of places you can get those goals. You can augment recent cases. I do that a lot when I find gaps, and I take care of a patient, and I say, oh, I don't really... No, if I knew all I needed to know there, that's the spot where I may go. CE for you guys, for our continuing edu education program here at MCHD. We love our CE program. Lee Gillum kills it every quarter. It's organized. It's focused. It's a, it's a great established program, but it's not enough. So there's always room to take our CE topics and expand on those, you know, places where you're uncomfortable in your patient care. Uh, the best teachers that I had, we've talked about, Carrie Chisholm and Kevin Rogers on the podcast before, but early on in my training, I'll never forget being in the work area and nosebleed patient popping up. Uh, oh God, I hate nosebleeds. And Kevin said, that's the first patient you should go pick up every shift. And I said, what? If you hate them, go take care of them. You'll get better at it. And then you won't. A hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. So t how, how do you approach trying to be focused you know I think very similar I think a lot of it is is my own knowledge gaps I mean this evolves very rapidly whether you're in pre-hospital medicine or hospital medicine you know one of the biggest fears I think for older clinicians is getting behind there's just such a massive amount of knowledge you know you take care of people from the moment they're born and take their first breath until they take their last 
and everything in between, every subspecialty, right? Cardiology and neurology and pediatrics and on and on and on. There's just so much to know that I think that, that sometimes learners can get freaked out by that and, and can kind of just say, well, I'm just going to go back to what I know and, and just stay in my comfort zone, as, as Casey said. So I think that one of the most important things, I take my clinical practice and stuff where, you know, I may have a gap or I'm like, well, I haven't taken care of that in a while. I'm going to go back and look at uh, GI hemorrhage. I had a big variceal bleeder over the weekend. So I went back and did a little dive into GI hemorrhage and therapies for GI hemorrhage. We are talking about Blakemore tubes and Minnesota tubes and all these different types of uh, potential therapies for these bad variceal bleeders. But, you know, I, I think you really, really have to focus. And to me, that's based on the cases that I see and the cases that we review here. You know, quite frankly, we see a, a ton of cases, and really that's how everybody's, to me, everybody's learning should stack up, is you, you have your clinical practice, and then from that, it gets, you should be getting more questions, not less questions, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to take your GI hemorrhage and talk about one of the errors that I see, because this is one that I see folks, paramedics especially, that come to me with questions I see this not infrequently, so it's worth addressing, I think, and that is you have to lay the foundation first. You have to crawl before you walk. Get a lot of questions about Scarbosa criteria. That's one over my time in, in EMS that lots of good medics want to talk about Scarbosa and diagnosing acute coronary ischemia in the face of a left bundle branch block. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not a settled debate. There's a lot of nuance there. I'm not going to get into the discussion of Scarbosa. But sometimes when they'll come and ask me the questions and then we'll back it up into recognizing occlusion MI and acute coronary ischemia on EKGs, I quickly realize that their anatomical, vascular, electrophysiologic foundation in EKG interpretation is pretty basic. Not that I don't want our medics to be inquisitive, but you can't go to Scarbosa criteria until you know STEMI occlusion MI basics. So that applies to all of us. That's like if you take care of your GI hemorrhage patient and you go straight to when to place a Blakemore tube or a Minnesota tube, you skipped over the step of how do you start the workup? How do you recognize acute GI hemorrhage? What lab values point you down the route of, oh no, uh, what are your initial treatments? When consultation made? So you've got to have your foundation in place before you go into the I don't want to say esoteric, but the more complex and the more complicated end decisions, you really have to handle, have a handle on the foundation. You've got to be honest with yourself about that, potentially have a mentor. I know uh, that's something that I really didn't have, but uh, I kind of I use, I use y'all, I use the people that I'm around to help keep me in check and, and make sure that we're on the right route as far as, you know, clinical knowledge and educational knowledge goes. And you have to have that foundation to build, though, right? I mean, I'll go back to an example that I use with the, the resident doctors in the hospital is when I dictate a note, I see a patient in conjunction with them, I always dictate a faculty note. And I go back through the differential of the serial killers for what that patient came for. And, and it, they kind of look at me in an odd way and think, well, gosh, you know, I'm sure Dr. Dixon knows the, the serial killer dif differential for chest pain, right? 
but I think that by saying it over and over and over and dictating in my note and clearly why I think that it's either still in the differential or I've somewhat excluded by my clinical evaluation of the patient, I think is a good thing and it actually raises more questions. So you start with that foundation and then build the nuance off. So I think it's a great example case. So once we have that foundational knowledge and now we're looking to build upon that, but we still want to stay focused with all of this stuff out there. Something that has helped me is getting to know the population and getting to know the people that we serve, right? So specifically here, I mean, we've just talked recently about heat emergencies, external cooling, for example. Are there certain overdoses common in your area? Um, so you could add an education specific to those. We are so close to Houston in the medical center. Uh, sometimes I'll have a patient, maybe a pediatric patient, congenital heart disease. And I'll be like, oh, let me learn more specific on his condition in case we make him again in the future. So that kind of sparks my interest in what more can I research or what more can I know? And sometimes you don't know what you don't know, right? And then you fill in those gaps. Um, so I got right? a congenital heart yeah. question. A medic asked me a congenital <laughs> heart question and just a clinical scenario I had with this patient and said, uh, you know, the patient was uh, looked ill and I really wanted to correct. I wanted to correct this number you know, of the patient's oxygen saturation. And the mom was like, um, could you please just get it between 85 and 88? That's where my specialist really, really likes it. And he was like, okay, I can do that. I got the kid to 85 to 88, doc, and the kid looked pretty good. So I just left him there. And so we, it got us to talk about it. And then it made me go back. And I listened to our colleague, Dr. Weinstein, who's like a brilliant, brilliant lecturer from Indiana University on congenital heart abnormalities right just so it, it made me go back it, yeah. to a source i trusted mm -hmm. because i hadn't listened to her lecture in Absolutely. a couple of years so, so that, that brings us to sources let's talk about some yeah. sources that's really what your question was was where do you look yep, where? where do you go who do you trust and this is clearly an incomplete list if you're a source out there and <laughs> i miss you Sorry, sorry, we still like you too. Yes. <laughs> we this, this isn't, these this are is, a couple off the top quick, of our head. Quick bullet, quick bullet points as I'm typing out an outline. Uh, I like sources that automatically remind me. So I get journal feed and read by QXMD. Those come into my email box. Email box. Those are uh, free sources to get the reminders. They have paid upgrades, obviously, like everything else. But they pop in my inbox and I can... If I have five minutes, scroll down and look at them. If I want to delete them from my email box, they're easy. So journal feed, read by QXMD, both have uh, app-based platforms. Pretty easy to get some journal articles that you can scroll through and decide whether there's anything that interests you or not. I've uh, med Medicine Education Overall, the National Association of EMS Physicians, uh, medical education blog, shameless plug. I write some stuff for them every now and again. But they have a lot of really good EMS-focused topics that are in sort of article bite form that are pretty easy to say, okay, I don't want to read the journal article. Just give me the gist. Keep it digestible, right? Very you have digestible. to keep it digestible. And those are peer-reviewed. So if I write something, they're reviewed by other EMS physicians, so I don't just get to write them on my own. Um, emdocs.net, not the Facebook page. The, it's emdocs.net. Uh, is one that I really like. Those are peer-reviewed. A lot of those are written by resident physicians and, and reviewed by faculty and staff. Tons of good topics on there. They, they veer a little bit into the emergency medicine world from the EMS world, but it's a good place to start. They usually have pretty good reference. Um, 
references on there so that you can dig deeper if you'd like. We like uh, Rebel EM. We like Core EM. Both of those are good article bites to the point sort of sites. So Rebel EM, Core EM, those are all internet uh, sites, blog sites. For EKG and, and cardiology issues, we've hit the two high points there. If you search Dr. Amamatu and you use him as a resource, if you use Life in the Fast Lane, and you can get through 80% of what Dr. Matu and Life in the Fast Lane has to offer on EKG educations and EKG libraries, then you are, will be an absolute savant. I don't know if you would go anywhere else for EKG information than those two Dr. Matu is locations. incredible. Just, the way he yeah. breaks it down, he's, Just, he's good. It's incredible. And he's proof, is, yeah. he's proof that there's not one way to do medical education that being new and innovative and using things like Prezi and uh, you know, I'm, I think presenting in, a, in a, a dynamic fashion is great. I think using dynamic visuals are great. Man, he's up there with his dad jokes and his blue and yellow slides, just like he was 15, 20 years ago. And the content is always spot on, delivered perfectly. He's a master. And it's not just EKGs. Check out his whiteboard teaching. I'll do a shameless plug for Dr. Matu. Check out his Twitter feed. And when he works his shift, you know, he'll write down some of the clinical topics from that shift in three to three to five bullet points about that particular topic it's it's really informative super yeah. informative and a great way for other educators out there whether in pre-hospital medicine or in the hospital uh, to mentor their students and their residents yeah, and then lastly i dr dixon gives, gives me grief but i am i am a, a twitter lurker i, I I'm not much of a social media person in general. I don't have a Facebook account. I believe that you can talk to your friends and send them letters in the mail, maybe call them on the phone and speak with them and keep your relationships up to date. I don't really function in a world of likes and uh, up thumbs up and things like that. Uh, but that said, I think Twitter is has been useful to me at times. I get lost in NBA Twitter sometimes because I'm an NBA fan and get veer outside of medicine into my own personal uh, forays. But that said, to follow reliable people on there, their content is fed to you, yeah, you can waste some serious time on there. But I do follow Dr. Matu and the National Association of uh, EMS Physicians and Dr. Peter Antevi and uh, just on, really on, on down the list of a lot of folks that we've worked with on the podcast before, Dr. Jeff Jarvis and, and all of his social media output from – you know, his podcast and his educational offerings. So if you follow reliable folks, you can be fed, for the most part, reliable information. You hit on something that's really important, Megan, I want to go back to before we wrap up and hit really two more points. But one of those is recognizing in the need and the want to keep up and stay regular that, that we're humans and we have lives outside of our jobs and outside of our clinical practice. And our lives change through our clinical practice. Mine has. I was, uh, you know, I got kids in college now. You've got young ones, very different than we both when we both had no one at home. Like when I was in medical school, I had I had no kids back then. So we're going to wax and wane. I feel like reminders and auto feeds are really good ways to keep up. And to me, that takes the burden from me of having to go out and search. If I get an email, or I get a podcast reminder because I'm subscribed or if I get a Twitter feed where I can scroll through for the day and see what Dr. Matu and Dr. Antevi and Dr. Jarvis have all posted, 
you know, other medics that are uh, social media active, that are reliable and that, that post good stuff. It doesn't have to be just physicians. It can be anybody in education that shares and updates good stuff. So what do you think in your, in your world? Same thing. And, and don't try to take big, big bites of it. I think that's another problem with it is, is I think folks, uh, when they look at medical education or really any topic, they, they go out and think, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read uh, Tintinale's, you know, and, and really brush up on emergency medicine. You know, I mean, just these ginormous bites. Just take it. You know, we really consume it. And Casey, I know, consumes it in very, very short bites. I mean, he will tell you he, he watches those journal feeds. But if it doesn't interest him or it's not something we're doing or by someone we know and see, oh, what's Dr. Jarvis doing or what's Dr. Antevi doing, he just you can quickly delete it and move on. Right. I mean, I think you really have to be intentional with your with your time uh, because there's there is just so much to know and you can get off in the weeds. So typically what I do, mine is always pretty clearly focused on either cases that we've seen in our service or uh, Casey's had in his other service at ESD 11 or from our clinical practice with the residents. Do you have medics that you go to in the service that are your sounding boards? Yes, absolutely. Since I started working here, actually, uh, Captain Clay, uh, I would we were never actually partners, but I would seek out overtime to work with him or whenever there was an opening on his truck. And I would come to him with this notebook. I called my list of silly questions. And it's just someone I learn from. I feel like we have the similar like learning styles and very receptive to his feedback. Uh, I liked how he operated his ambulance. I loved his care for people, his compassion. And each level he got to, and then now he's you know an FTO, he's a captain. Soon he's going to be a district chief. And there's just so much to learn, so much to follow along. And he's always honest with his feedback for me and what I can do to improve. And he's a good resource for resources. Yeah, I think we didn't have that on the script, but talk about a great unscripted moment, right? I mean, how do we really learn best, right? From doing and from modeling after other people. Like you mentioned Carrie and Kevin and, and some of our colleagues at IU and, and throughout our career, you know, folks that we've modeled our clinical practice after where you you know, you watch someone manage a case or a call and you're like, wow, I got to I got to do it like this person did it. This is incredible. It's it's one of the beauties of having the partnership that we have here is that we spend a lot of time doing that in an informal fashion. Let's talk about this case. Let's talk about this clinical issue. Having folks in your professional sphere that you can go to, that you learn similarly to, that you look up to, that you know are putting the time in as well, it's, beyond valuable. So you have to use your peers, use them wisely. And then remember, lastly, the other, the final point I wanted to get in on this one before we kind of look to wrapping it up is remember that incremental gains is the key foundation to this entire discussion. What do I mean by that? I mean that you're not going to learn it all in one sitting. And when you end up with children, with families, with life, with sick parents, with uh, all the things that come to us as we progress through our educational career beyond that time way back when, when we could sit down and study all afternoon on a Saturday. None of us can do that anymore as, as, as adult learners. At least it's a lot harder for me to, to snag four straight hours. And honestly, my brain doesn't function that way anymore. I get four hours and I'm ready to go, you know, bl blow off the patio and, you know, fix the flickering light. And I got to walk around the block and I, I just can't concentrate as well. So 
take 1% per day. If you take 1% per day and you look at that over 365 days, you're going to build some serious knowledge base. But you've got to be okay with that and switch your mindset from, man, I'm not, I'm not studying like I did in, in med school or in medic school. I'm just not putting the same time in. No, you're not because you're actually out there practicing and working. And you're putting in little bits of reinforcement every day. And if you build that reinforcement every day, the framework's going to be there. It's just going to take time. Something that I like that we do at MCHG is at the end of every year, we look at our, our, our yearly performance, and then we will set goals for the next year. Uh, so our district chief will sit us down and say, okay, what are your three goals for next year? So it's important to have those and then formulate a plan with them. Formulate a plan with your mentor and then check in quarterly and see where am I at and that you know, sounds very uh, Carrie Chisholm-like, doesn't it? I was yeah. just having a Carrie Chisholm <laughs> moment here. Rob, do you have your list, your one-year list, your five-year <laughs> yeah. list? But it, I think it works. It, I think it's very true. It's very true, right? There's a, a ton to know, incremental learning, and, and don't get too down on yourself. I think that a lot of times as we, as we mature as clinicians, as life gets in the way, it can be really daunting, and some people respond to that by just kind of just closing off the wall and hunkering down and going, well, I, I, I learned it this way, and I know it this way, and, and, and almost afraid to kind of get out there because there is so much, you know, Re- reassured that, you know, this is hard for everybody. It's hard for me. I feel like sometimes I don't keep up enough. Casey feels that way. Captain Powell feels that way. Just take small, small baby steps and incremental steps towards it. The last piece I'll leave the listeners with, last piece I'll leave you with, because I'm not sure that I said this in our discussion, but as I thought through writing this in an outline, I wanted to, I wanted to get it out there for our medics to hear. When I get bogged down, when I get discouraged, because we all do, we go through gaps. I'll go through weeks, months, multiple months where I'm not doing any outside education and I start to get anxious about it. Like I'm not learning. I'm not learning. I'm not keeping up. And just like Dr. Dixon said, sometimes our end response to that is I know what I know and I'm going to work with that. And that's the most comfortable for me. And then that leaves you in sort of that enclosed box. The one thing that breaks me out of that box every single time, and this doesn't have to be super formal. It doesn't have to be at the national American college of emergency physicians meeting. Find an outlet to teach something. I'll close with with a quote that I heard recently that really hit home because I, I just I thought it was one of those you hear and you're like, why didn't I think of that? Well, I should have said that. That and I've said this a million times in nowhere near as eloquent a way. Wisdom comes from not just experience, but from reflection on experience. So. Our goal is wisdom. It's not just knowledge. It's how to put the knowledge into practice as active practitioners, emergency physicians, paramedics, EMTs, AMTs. But you can't just have book knowledge and you can't just take care of patients. You have to take care of patients, reflect on it afterwards, learn from it. And that's where we get wisdom from. So do a little homework, find reputable folks, keep yourself focused, go for two or three, start with two or three, not 33, you're going to get bogged down. Trust, but verify. If you hear something that's interesting to you from, you know, Rebel EM, then check and see if there's a link at the bottom of his post, because most of the time there is, and you can go read about it from another author. Uh, 
content often has expiration dates. Our content on the podcast already is expired. If you want to some embarrassing stuff, yes, go, you listen, <laughs> go listen to some of those COVID episodes. Boy, oh. we, we whiff there a little bit. Our, our Ross to Kath episode is entire, entirely irrelevant now because new randomized control data came out that said, hey, we don't need to rush non-STEMIs at the cath lab after arrest. They don't do any better. So that episode is, is extinct. That is a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Dr. Patrick, I just wanted to add to that, that although medicine is always evolving and always changing, and there's always going to be equipment advances that 100 years ago and 100 years in the future, what doesn't change is being kind and having compassion and treating people with respect and just doing what is best for your patients. And, and that's and education's part of that. Yeah, right. And our, that's always good. Our patient deserve our patients same. deserve that. Absolutely. But if you hear something out there and you're like, man, they are totally wrong, just remember that was posted in twenty seventeen, not in twenty twenty two or whatever it was. Be honest, use your mentors, find mentors, you know, make a goal, have a goal, a goal learning topic for six months. Don't make a goal for the next week, you're never gonna get it done. Make it for six months and go review mine for this six months is transvenous pacemakers. I've not thought about those in a while. One of the charge nurses brought me down a kit the other day and I said, Ooh, the kit destroyed you. Yeah. The kit <laughs> destroyed me. It, it uh, humbled me. Uh, so you got to be honest with yourself, teach, teach, teach. And that can be teach CPR class. That can be teach at a, a state meeting that could be teach at a national meeting. If you're an MCHD listener out there and you want to teaching teach at, more, the, at the bedside, with your paramedic student on the truck. It can be anything. Please teach. If you want opportunities, we've had lots of medics come to us and ask for opportunities and we'll do our best to plug in if you'd like more opportunity there. So hopefully that's some, uh, maybe a pick me up. Hopefully this it's a pick me up episode. That's yeah, the whole that's purpose cool. of this is for us to think about how we can rejuvenate and how we can pick the right sources and make sure that we're staying active in our educational path. That's the goal. So as always, Thanks for listening. If you have ideas for future podcasts, if you have feedback you want to send us, podcast at mchd-tx.org. Thank you, Captain Powell, for bringing us this idea and for joining us again on the podcast. Leave us a like or a review wherever you listen. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to everybody again soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.